electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to The Keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Tyler Matheson. So what the heck is The Keynote? Well, it's a podcast, quite obviously, where we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with CEOs, with entrepreneurs and thought leaders. The interviews you're going to hear are recorded live in front of audiences around the country. And today, we bring you our conversation with Levi's CEO, Chip Berg. We recorded it in November in Los Angeles. And I'm joined in studio today by one of our producers on the CNBC events team who is there in L.A. with me, Karen Stern. Karen, hi. How are you? Hi, Tyler. What, tell me a little bit about uh, Chip Berg and how he came to Levi's. Well, we invited Chip Berg to our Evolve conference because he is largely responsible for a terrific turnaround at the company since he became CEO around 2011. Now, Levi's is a 100-year-old company. It's really a legacy brand, and they literally invented the blue jean, and they were doing great in the denim market for many years until around 2010 when all of a sudden athleisure became a thing. You know what I'm talking about. Lululemon, Under Armour. All of a sudden consumers, especially women, are buying leggings and yoga pants instead of denim. And denim was out. And it wasn't just athleisure, was it? It was other brands that had come into the jeanswear category, sometimes at price points that were a lot higher and had a cool factor that Levi's didn't. Absolutely. Where did Chip come from? Chip came from Procter & Gamble, and he's one of uh, several CEOs we've seen come out of Procter & Gamble who has a real strong branding background. And so this is a guy who knows how to connect with consumers, how to connect a product with buyers, and that's exactly why they brought him in at Levi's, and that's exactly why he's been successful at sort of reinventing this brand. I forget whether he was the guy behind the Swiffer. I think maybe I he think was. I think he might be the Swiffer I guy. I think he may be that. So making the transition from Swiffer to jeans, I mean, who who knew? Who would figure? But I guess if you can sell, if you can brand, you can brand no matter the product. Yeah, and he talks about this um, in our conversation about coming in and talking to employees about what's working with this brand and what's not working with this brand. Um, and he also talks about his personal connection with Levi's, being a consumer himself and as a kid making his mom drive two towns over just to get him a pair of Levi's. Talk about connection. He was dressed head to toe in Levi's uh, the day we met him in Los Angeles. Let's get to our conversation with Chip Burke. Clearly, I didn't get the uh, dress code memo uh, today. It's a perfect opportunity to wear Levi's. I'm so sorry. I, I jokingly say it's in my contract. I should have worn my denim. So seriously, I've met the Pope wearing a pair of Levi's. Is that right? That's pretty good. I'm probably the only person who's met. You know, he under his robes, he may have been wearing Levi's, too. He might have been. (laughs) You never know. So I I, I just uh, met Chip, and I said, this is going to be a sort of an atypical interview for CNBC. I'm not going to go over a ton of numbers. People can look up the numbers and look at the performance and so forth. But what we're talking about today is leadership and driving change. Mm -hmm. And you've had to do that uh, since you joined Levi Strauss in, what was it, 2011? Is that when you came there? After a long career at uh, Procter & Gamble, among other places. So when you came to Levi's, what did you notice needed to be changed from the the get-go? And how did you diagnose that? 
Well, even before I get to that, just why did I join Levi's is probably the best starting place. So I spent 28 years at P&G, and I am a brand guy. I'm, I grew up building brands, launching brands. And there's a saying, you only get to leave P&G once, make it count. And uh, the, the story on Levi's you just saw, it's been around now for 166 years. And the company hadn't performed in about 15 years. So I actually saw this as a real unique opportunity to make a mark, leave a legacy. And, and really, I, I call this my noble cause to turn the company around and get it back to where it was when I was a kid, where everybody had to have a pair of Levi's. So the company, uh, it peaked in the mid-'90s at $7.1 billion in sales and had fallen from $7 billion to $4 billion. And, uh, uh, and, and here was one of the greatest, most iconic brands in the world, I thought. So I really was convinced if we could turn the brand around, we could turn the company around. So when Did I you have a preconception about what needed, uh, beyond that, about specifically what needed to be done but even before you arrived? Well, before I arrived, I, I did have a couple of hypotheses, but I really did believe that the, the brand had lost the plot. It wasn't connecting with consumers. I like talking about being consumer-obsessed. And this brand was at its best when we were at the center of culture. When the Berlin Wall was getting knocked down, the kids on the wall with sledgehammers were wearing Levi's because Levi's represented all of the best things about America, democracy, freedom, expression of, of free speech. And, uh, and the brand had lost that focus on, on being at the center of culture. Um, when I grew up as a kid, I asked my mom to drive two towns away so that I could buy a pair of Levi's before I went to middle school because only the cool kids wore Levi's. And I wasn't going to be that kid not wearing Levi's. And, and so the big question was, how do we make the brand like that again and put the brand back at the center of culture and make it cool? So I really did fundamentally believe that this was a brand issue, which is a combination of product and marketing and connecting with consumers. And by getting that right, which we've done now over the last seven years, that we could get the brand on a trajectory of growth. When you, that was when, my hypothesis. When you came into the company uh, as an outsider coming in, uh, did you and, – and you began to – formulate and then implement an agenda for change. Right. Did you find that there were pockets of resistance, and how did you overcome them? A lot of resistance. First of all, as an outsider, I think, and, and as a non-apparel, non-retail person, I think there was a lot of suspicion. And, and the, the fact of the matter is not many outsiders, the apparel industry, have been successful at the CEO level. So, so I knew going in that this was going to be a heavy lift. And there was a lot of doubters and suspicion, but... It was very, very clear that we needed to change, and the agenda was one of change. So the, the second day I was there, I did a town hall, and I do town halls every single month. We call them chips and beer. We do them late in the afternoon. We actually serve <laughs> beer, and I do it when I travel around the world. And I started by saying, how many of you think that the company is performing? And about 80% of the hands went up because people are proud to work at Levi's. You know, we, we're all about profits through principles and giving back to the community. And, and we do have this great brand. But the company hadn't performed in about 15 years. You know, we had that steep decline over five years. And then for the next decade, we just kind of bounced around. And one year, the profits would go up, but the, the, the revenues would go down. The next year, they get the revenues growing, but the profits would go down. So I laid out a case for change. But people thought the company was performing well. Yeah. And, and so the first job of a of a CEO is stare down the brutal facts and get people to embrace the brutal facts. And, 
And then, you know, over the next nine months, we laid out the, the course for change. What How did you get people to follow you? You're the outsider. You're the guy. They say, oh, he worked at Gillette. He knows razor blades. He, he was the brand guy behind the Swiffer. Swiffer right. uh, what the hell does he know? Yeah, and, and, and it was a valid question, given the backdrop, <laughs> right? Um, and, I, and I did. I am a humble person by, by, you know, just to start with. But one of the very early things that I did was I went on a listening tour. I sent out six questions to the top 60 leaders of the company. You know, what are the, what are the three things that you think have to change? What are the three things that need to stay the same? What's the one thing you hope I will do? What's the one thing you, you're afraid I might do? What advice do you have for me? I don't remember the sixth question. But I sent the same six questions out to the top 60 people in the company. What were they afraid you might do? Um, That's a change great. everything. Actually, the biggest worry, it was very, very clear. After about 15 of these interviews, the picture was really, really clear. I didn't need to do the next 45. I did. But the picture was very, very clear after about 15 interviews. The biggest concern was that we would walk away from our values. Mm-hmm. And our values are really, really central to who we are. We talk about it as profits through principles. I mean, it goes all the way back to Levi Strauss himself. The very first year he made a profit, he donated a percentage of it to an orphanage in San Francisco. When the earthquake happened in San Francisco, we never laid off, you know, we never laid off a worker. We kept people working. During the Depression, we kept people working in our factories they actually laid wood slat floors on concrete floors. We kept them working during the Depression. Um, we were, you know, we Even though demand for the product had fallen off. We weren't making products. So, so you, were, um, you put them to work during, during World War II. We weren't making product, but we never laid people off. So this company is all about values and connecting to the community. And, and that was the biggest worry, that we would, we would walk away from that. That was a big worry when we did the IPO, too. I published an article on LinkedIn saying... That's who we are. We're not going to change. And in fact, during the roadshow, when we were meeting with investors, I made it really, really clear. We're not afraid to take a stand on important social issues of our day. We've stood up for DACA. We've stood up for immigration. We've taken a stand on gun control. And these are, you know, hot topics, potentially politically divisive. But this company has never been afraid of taking a stand on these. Companies. So since I wasn't going to go there uh, right at that at this point, but I am since now I since, the you, door. since you since you did open the door on values. And, and that's really one of the cornerstones mm-hmm. of uh, of your of your leadership, uh, innovation right. and, and diversification and yep. sustainability and values. Yep. Um, and you have been very public about uh, finding ways to end gun violence in the United States. Let me ask you how you came to that very incendiary uh, uh, topic. Did you go to your board of directors? Mm -hmm. Did you poll your employees? Did you talk to your customers and wholesalers? Did you talk to the men and women who live in pick the state, Texas or Pennsylvania or Maine, who wear Levi's and might not love it that you're out front on that cause? So the answer is yes to some of them and no to some of the others. Um, but we did involve the board. Again, we've got a framework that I've established with the board of directors around issues that we will take a stand on. So DACA and immigration uh, you know, is consistent with some of the other issues that we've taken a stand on. It didn't have to go and check or work with the board of directors. But gun control was a new issue. And and uh, you know, it was the Parkland shooting that really kind of got to the tipping point for me where I really felt we needed to take a position, take a stand on this. And, and to be very clear in this room, I am not about appealing, repealing the Second Amendment. 
I served our country in the Army. I was a U.S. Army officer for four years. I've fired weapons before. I know what some of these weapons can do to a human body. And I just feel that in today's environment, places of safety are no longer safe. And that is a big issue for society. If our kids can't go to school without having to worry about being locked down, my daughter, I've got an 11-year-old daughter. They practice lockdown drills more than they practice earthquake drills. And I live in San Francisco. So something has to be done. Um, and we're making a lot of progress. The momentum is clearly on the side of, of, of the federal government starting to take action to make the world a safer Have place. Have you gotten but, any customer uh, blowback? Consumer feedback? Consumer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. It, it's not without risk. But I'll go back 20 years. My test is, will time demonstrate that we were on the right side of right on this issue? Because historically, this company has been on the right side of many issues that at the time were questionable whether the company was on the right side. So let me give one quick example. Sure. In the mid-90s, when the Boy Scouts banned gay troop leaders, we pulled all funding of the Boy Scouts. The company got 130,000 emails and letters over the next week. 97% of them said, we're going to stop buying Levi's. We're going to boycott your brand. We're, we're out. We did not waver. And now you look back 20 years later, and clearly we were on the right side of right. I mean, the Boy Scouts have dropped the name Boy, and they're welcoming gay troop leaders, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and that is the test that I held for, for gun control. Still ahead on the keynote, Levi's ushers in the fourth industrial revolution. Stay with us. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to the keynote by CNBC Events. You're listening to a conversation with Levi's CEO, Chip Berg, recorded at our Evolve conference in November in Los Angeles. I want to talk about China. Mm -hmm. How much of your product is sourced out of China? Um, today, it's less than 20%. So we are a big global business. We have a big global supply chain. Um, less than 20% of our business is sourced out of China. Coming into the U.S. now, it's less than 2% of our total business. So we've reconfigured our what supply chain. What comes into the U.S. is less than 2%. Less than 2% uh, is, is coming, coming from, from China. China. It's coming from where else? It's coming from Latin other America, parts of Southeast uh, Asia. Mexico, Mexico is a huge source country for us. A little bit. You make from, much in the U.S.? Very little. Very, very little in the U.S. So as and you, it's because as you, the U.S. consumer won't pay the prices that would be required to support U.S. manufacturing. No, absolutely. I mean, um, so... So my question is, as you watch what's going on in China right now mm -hmm. with the, with the uh, uh, re-education camps in western China, what you see on the streets of Hong Kong, is there a point in time where you and Levi's will take a stand on China? So it's a very, very tricky issue. Um, what's very, very clear is anything in our supply chain that violates what we call our terms of engagement which is things like child labor, forced labor, things like that, anything where there is clear evidence where that is happening, we will take a stand. We will 
put the supplier on notice, give them an opportunity to change, and if they don't change, we're out. And we've done that consistently for more than 30 years. That's who we are. Um, we have a business in China. It's, it's actually an underdeveloped business. It's only about 3% of our total, total business today, and it represents selling, goods selling in Levi's, China. Selling selling Levi's, Levi's in China. China. Yeah. And, and that represents, I mean, that's a big market, and it's huge yeah. potential upside. So it is a tricky issue that I think all of us are trying to figure out how to navigate. But when it comes to supply chain violations, we are very, very clear we will not tolerate. And, and as, you, as you look at, at what's going on, the NBA obviously stepped into the middle of it inadvertently. Mm -hmm. So you have to be really thoughtful about, about thoughtful. China. Let's switch back. I want to go to some of the changes that you did make. Mm -hmm. One of them was to diversify yes. um, not only where you do business, but the business you're in, concentrating on women's lines, right. concentrating on tops as opposed to trousers. Right. Tell me a little bit about how the mix has changed. So, and that was part of the early assessment that led to our strategy, which in a nutshell was to diversify the business. When I joined the company, 60% of the company's business was still in the U.S. Almost 50% was U.S. wholesale, Macy's, Sears, J.C. Penney, Coles, those guys. And I looked at that, and actually we had credit agencies telling us, you're too concentrated. And I looked at it, and it was like, we have a women's business. We were the very first brand to ever sell women's jeans. And we had lost the plot on that. Athleisure was killing us. That was the headlines in, in 2012. Um, we didn't sell a lot of tops. In apparel, there are five tops sold for every bottom. We're the, we were the opposite when I joined. So to me, it was a combination of, and our strategy is grow the profitable core. That's our men's business. It's our top five markets. It's our top wholesale customers. Those are where we generate a lot of Grow the, the core. Grow the core. the core. Then expand for more. The core is big, profitable businesses that are slow-growing, so necessary but not sufficient. Then expand for more, tops, outerwear, women's, huge categories that were underdeveloped, and then to become a world-class leading retailer because I'd like to say I saw through the crystal ball that wholesale was going to be challenged over time, but it was really more from a brand experience standpoint. In our own retail doors and in our own e-commerce sites, we can control the consumer experience. We can control how the brand shows And you up. have a direct connection with that consumer. And we can build that relationship. So I go consumer. in now to a Levi's store yep. as opposed to going to Kohl's or whatever, though I may buy from Kohl's, mm -hmm. or, or I can go online. Yep. So it's an omni-channel approach. It is totally omni-channel. Totally omni-channel. Still ahead on the keynote, size doesn't matter. Chip Berg's vision for the future of clothes. Stay with us. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. But that's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. 
Welcome back to the keynote by CNBC Events. You're listening to a conversation with Levi's CEO, Chip Berg, recorded at our Evolve conference in November in Los Angeles. Innovation is a big part of the change. And what you've done there in your Eureka Lab, you were on last night with Jim Cramer from there, uh, is really fascinating because it plays into uh, trying to reduce the amount of heavy, hard hand labor yep. that is involved in making a pair of jeans or a shirt like you're wearing. It is also uh, highly tied into sustainability. Sustainability, technology. Explain a little bit about innovation and, <clears throat> and how autom- automation, artificial intelligence, uh, the, the innovation lab is going to change speed to market Mm-hmm. And and what yeah. you're able to do. So it started as a sta- sustainability project, but it's all about eliminating hazardous chemicals from the supply chain, reducing the amount of labor. This is still a very manual, which is why it just keeps the industry just keeps che- chasing the, the least expensive labor markets around the world. Um, but about driving innovation so that we produce more sustainable products closer to market, and drive agility in our supply chain. So, And it is about embracing the fourth industrial revolution and how digitization can fundamentally change the way apparel is made. So our innovation lab is in Eureka. I mean, here we are. We're headquartered in San Francisco. We have Silicon Valley at our doorstep. And our innovation center, when I joined the company, was in Turkey, halfway (laughs) around the world. And innovation in apparel, it's very tactile. It's very iterative. The designers need to literally hold and feel fabric and work with seamstresses to tweak product. And and so we moved it and scaled it up and put it in San Francisco. And out of that, we relaunched our women's business in the middle of 2015. We've grown 17 quarters in a row. The last 11 quarters, double-digit growth. Our women's business is one of our biggest growth engines. And we're still not number one in many markets around the world, even though we are the number one women's brand. We've done a program with Google where we've got one of the very first wearable technology devices. You can buy a trucker jacket that will command your cell phone by the swipe of a sleeve. It's got, it's got woven conductive fibers in it. Google wanted to work with us, in part because we had this innovation center right up the road from them. And so we have attracted great innovation talent, and we've solved a number of big sustainability issues. So you reduce the amount of water, for example, that goes into by three billion liters in the yeah. last couple of years. We produce jeans using lasers instead of hand finishing now, and the, the use of lasers allows us to postpone finishing till very late stage. So we bring blanks into our distribution center, and then can finish them almost to order. And today, a consumer so, so can there's design a, there's jeans. There's coming a time when when my fit and finish is going to be made to order. Absolutely. And I'm going to Sizes will go out the window 10 years from now, and, and everybody will be able to do their own body scan on a camera, upload their body scan, and we'll be able well, to Well, that's produce. frightening. Uh, <laughs> but, but sizes, Talk about but data I'm, security, But I'm glad to hear right? that sizes Talk will go about out the, the window. <laughs> that sounds fine to me. Are there questions from the audience? We've got a couple of minutes, and then I want to uh, uh, ask a couple of more. There's one over there. Please stand and deliver. Hi, my name is Andrea Mora, and I'm a social media and branding expert. Um, I'm very familiar with all the backlash that brands get whenever they do stand up uh, about social um, issues. Do you have any advice for um, the next generation of leaders, uh, because I'm a Gen Zer myself, um, on retention uh, for consumers and customers? Just like, how are you able to navigate this industry, you know, 
being vocal about these issues and still being able to have an audience and not disrupt your fan base? I think the biggest thing is to maintain authenticity. Um, consumers today, and especially true with young consumers who are so socially aware, social media aware, they read through bullshit. And, and if a brand doesn't, doesn't act, if the words and pictures don't go together on a brand, that brand is in trouble. So if you say you're sustainable, you better be sustainable in every aspect of the word. And, and brands that just kind of pop into a position because it happens to be the position of the day or the issue of the day, and then a year later can't be found on that issue, the consumers are going to call you on it. So I think maintaining your authenticity and being very, very choiceful about where you weigh in and what you weigh in on is also really important. I mean, when we had the gun discussion internally and with the board of directors, a big discussion was you can only pick so many choices. If you stand for everything, you stand for nothing. And so it is important to pick your spots, but then be committed to it over a period of time. And, and I think that's important because you have to maintain that consistency because as soon as you stop, the consumers are going to see it and they're going to call the brand on it. Thank you very much. Chip Berg, ladies and gentlemen. That was our conversation with Chip Berg, and I'm rejoined now by Karen Stern, who was a producer at the event. Uh, you know, one of the things that was interesting that Berg talked about was how Levi's has gotten away uh, from depending on other retailers to sell its product. They now want to be everywhere, but they also want to have their own stores, which they've got a lot of. And also, it's not just jeans anymore. It's not just the jean shelf at Kohl's. You go into Levi's, and they have a lot of tops now. They've really um, revamped the women's line, and they have accessories, and they're really turning it into an experience as opposed to just a product on a shelf. He's also willing to put Levi's in the middle of what we would call controversial topics like addressing the gun violence problem in the United States. I got to think he alienates some potential customers. And what he said was that Levi's has a history of being a politically conscious company, and he takes that heritage very seriously and feels like it's his duty as leader of this company to do the right thing, even if it means it turns off some potential consumers. The other thing that was interesting was how People are going to get body scanned and fitted to jeans. I'm not sure I want that or need that. Yeah, but yeah. I will say if it's something that gives you the perfect fit, that's something that a lot of consumers are always looking for. It's very hard to find. So if you can go get a pair of jeans that fit you perfectly, that's sort of the dream, isn't it? Yeah. Karen Stern, thanks very much. The keynote is produced by the CNBC Events team. For more information about CNBC Events and how you can join us in person, visit CNBCEvents.com. I'm Tyler Matheson. Thanks for listening. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.